When I was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, theology, and answered them as best I could with stories from my own experience and from what I've studied. They also called me Padre. So welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I take a question or questions of the day and answer them as best I can. Thanks for joining me uh, on this day. We're, we're going to take the podcast in another direction, uh, if God wills it, with my friend William, uh, which will include a lot of Yiddish comedy and banter, uh, as he is an expert in many languages, Yiddish being one of them. But that's the next episode. This episode is going to ask ask the question and try to answer it, was Jesus a racist? Was Jesus a racist? The question sounds absurd, perhaps to many of you, but in fact, it is a question that people ask when they come to the reading that we have today for the Sunday Gospel lesson. Matthew 15, the last part of chapter 15 is in verse, right around verse 21 to 28, we have the story of the Canaanite woman or elsewhere called the Syrophoenician woman. Jesus goes all the way up to the northwest corner of the land of Israel to the region of Tyre and Sidon. These are two port cities that are extremely uh, profitable places. They're bustling with activity. They are historically Phoenician. And we, it's, um, you know, the Phoenicians took an alphabet that had been used by some others and uh, adapted it so well that pretty much the whole Semitic world, the Aramaic-speaking world, and the Hebrew world used their alphabet and still use it today. The um, so this in this very bustling region of of Jesus' world, uh, it seems like Jesus perhaps goes there to get away from the crowds. He goes away to be anonymous. I remember when Billy Graham uh, was interviewed many years ago, and he said. He remembers the day when he lost his anonymity, when he lost the ability to just kind of go somewhere and and not have anyone know who he was. And maybe you uh, have lost your anonymity. Maybe you're a famous person. Maybe you're someone like me who's not, who doesn't get recognized when you go places. And, uh, and yet that loss of anonymity is a great loss. And once you lose it, you really can't get it back unless you're uh, a one-hit wonder celebrity who had a hit song and never was heard from again. You could probably get away with anonymity, depending. Although, you know, Vanilla Ice is still pretty recognizable, popping up in the news every now and again. But in this uh, region of Tyre and Sidon, Jesus meets a woman. She's called a Canaanite woman, which, uh, you know, to call someone a Canaanite in the first century A.D., is pretty anachronistic. In other words, it's like using a term from a bygone era. It's kind of like uh, when in World War One, you know, Western British propaganda called the Germans the Huns. Uh, they obviously weren't Huns. The Huns were a nomadic people that invaded Europe, ah, well, a long time ago, uh, at least a thousand years at that point, or maybe more. Uh, and so to call Germans Huns is an anachronistic title, a pejorative title, an insulting title too, and to call this woman a Canaanite woman. And Matthew, who is um, focused on a probably Hebrew-speaking or Hebrew world Jewish audience who um, would have 
picked up on what a Canaanite is right away. Canaanites were the people living in the land when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Many of the Canaanite cities were in alliance with Egypt. And when Joshua leads the conquest, they conquer the Canaanites, often killing many of them, driving them out, or um, enslaving them, which happens a couple times to the Gibeonites and some others. So the, Can- the Canaanite tension is in the story um, right from the beginning. And she's shouting at Jesus, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Demons show up in almost every story in the life of Jesus. In our study in Mark, which is happening on Zoom on Tuesdays, which all of you are invited to join, we talk about why demons are so present in the gospel narratives. We won't talk about that today, but the idea of being tormented by a demon is the way the New Testament describes demon activity in people's lives. The word is often demonize. That's probably the closest English translation. Demon possession, which you've seen in movies and things, is um, kind of a misnomer when it comes to what is happening in the Bible stories. Tormented by a demon. Seems like the demon is coming from outside her, hurting her, this daughter of this Canaanite woman. And Jesus doesn't answer her at all. He ignores her. And his disciples come and say, send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. And then Jesus says this, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So here we have Jesus pushing this needy woman, this desperate woman away. She is in great need. And she recognizes Jesus as Lord. She's begging him, praying to him, beseeching him with all her might uh, to heal this daughter and to send this demon away. She knows he can do it. She has faith. She has everything you could possibly need to get a healing from Jesus. And yet, Jesus sends her away. And he does it with this word. He says, it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. So was Jesus a racist by calling this woman a dog? He says, if he were to heal her daughter, it would be like taking kids' food and throwing it to dogs. Dogs in the uh, world that Jesus lived in, were not um, considered good house pets and cherished family members the way we do uh, today. And Jewish families at this time, it seems like, wouldn't have kept a house pet. This Canaanite woman would. Canaanites probably had house pets, dogs that lived in their houses. Um, But I don't know for sure who had what pets in that time, but we know laws of uncleanness and those sorts of things, laws that govern society and the world that Jesus lived in would have said that it would be unclean to have a dog in the house. And yet he's saying this Canaanite woman is like a dog that lives in your house, or at least scuttles around the edges of your house and tries to eat the children's food. And you don't take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Is Jesus saying that he is of a better race than this woman? She's already been noted as a Canaanite woman. She is not the same racial, uh, from the same ethnic, racial, religious, and cultural group as Jesus, and he compares her to a dog. And yet she comes back with this great response. It's this rebuke almost. It's like a rejoinder. She's quick-witted in a way that um, Matthew picks up on and tells us all the way down through history that this is true. Yes, Lord, she says, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. 
the word dogs that she uses um, is the word uh, for little dogs. It's the word for maybe puppies or small dogs, the dogs that you'd have in your house, not the kind of dogs that run around the street, but dogs you'd keep in your house. Uh, little dogs, puppies. Even the puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And this comment changes Jesus' mind about what he's going to do. Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. When we see this story, it's easy to see Jesus being culturally insensitive or maybe even racist here. And yet, when we look at what he's really saying about the children's food and throwing it to the dogs, what he's saying is, you have to feed your kids first before you feed anybody else. That's parenting number one, 101. Um, make sure your kids are fed. And then if you have leftovers, you feed the pets and the dogs and the cats. So that's what Jesus is saying about his ministry. His ministry was to come to his own people. His ministry was to come to his community, especially the community of Galilee and the community of the Judeans in Jerusalem. This was Jesus' primary mission. This was who he had come to save, who he had come to heal, who he had come to deliver from demonic oppression. And so he is not making a racist statement here, but he is making a statement of economy. Uh, so thus far, he's saying, I am a singularly minded person on a mission from God. And so when this woman challenges him on this, he immediately switches. He immediately changes to heal her. Um, we don't see what we might call racism in this story as much as we see someone from outside the circle challenging Jesus to be included in the love of the circle. And she is brought in immediately. I hope to meet her in heaven. She's probably the, the wittiest uh, person in all of the New Testament. There's so many stories like this in the Old Testament where people have quick-witted answers. But this one will go down in history and has gone down in history as one of the great rejoinders in all. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What she's saying is there is more than enough. There is enough and there's more than enough. There is so much grace flowing from Jesus' life that it's falling off the table. And even these little puppies are coming to lap it up. Now, we today our church is going to pray right one. Uh, right one is Elizabethan language that our original prayer book in the 1500s had. And we're going to pray it because there's a special prayer that's only in right one. That says, right before we receive communion, Lord, I am not worthy. Let me uh, get the prayer uh, for you so you can hear it. Lord, I am not worthy uh, to, to eat the crumbs from under thy table, but thou art the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. Uh, in this, you, this prayer, right before communion, sort of at the high point of the communion service, in the Episcopal Church, right one, um, there's this prayer that compares us to the puppies that eat the crumbs. This is what it means to receive the Eucharist, to be a puppy, to be a puppy who has seen a crumb fall from a children's hand, who grabs it, and we dart over and we grab it. This is the desperation with which we take the Eucharist, knowing that Jesus' life is becoming part of our life that he is becoming uh, intrinsically linked to our existence in a way 
that transcends space and time and physicality and everything else that limits us, limits our participation in the divine life. Jesus feeds us. Jesus is one with us in this holy meal. And to be able to receive it is such a great thing of a thing of great joy. So I hope you're able to receive the Eucharist today somewhere. If not, um, let's work on that. Let's try to figure out a way that you can be part of this divine meal, to be part of the crumbs that are falling from the table. We are all this Canaanite woman. We are all the puppies under the table. Amen. Thanks for joining me on the Dear Padre podcast. The next episode, hopefully, will be uh, some really funny uh, dialogue about language, Yiddish, and some really other good stuff that will come up in the conversation. But until then, God bless you, and I invite you to share this or subscribe as you feel that call.